Matthew 11 and verses 1 to 15. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has has ears, let him hear. Thank you, Shirley. And I'm just going to reset the air con so it doesn't go off halfway through the talk. It's on a two-hour timer. And I reckon we need it on today. Okay, that should be fine. Have you ever been really disappointed with a movie or a TV adaptation of one of your favorite books? You all look like you read books, I reckon. So, in particular, have you ever been really disappointed with the way they've cast one of your favorite characters? Because sometimes you read a whole series of books picturing your favourite character in a particular way and then it's turned into a TV or a movie and they're completely different to what you imagined. So an example is Lee Child, where's Graham? So I can see that for you. That Lee Child wrote this very popular series of books about Jack Reacher but there was uproar amongst Jack Reacher fans when they turned it into a movie. Why? 
Because Jack Creature is described as a super tough ex-military policeman who stands at nearly two metres tall with ice blue eyes, dirty blonde hair and a 110k kilogram muscular physique. So who did they get to play him? Little Tommy Cruz. (laughs) 1.7 metres tall in his big boy shoes. So that's why fans have been much more pleased with the guy who plays him on the Amazon TV show, Alan Richardson, who looks on the screen like half man, half mountain. You know, he looks the real deal. In today's passage, John the Baptist is not quite sure if Jesus is measuring up to being the Messiah that he's read about. He's not sure he's measuring up to being God's chosen one, God's rescuer king. See, John's read his Old Testament. He reckons he knows what to expect. But Jesus so far doesn't quite match up with what he had in mind. And for us following Jesus today, at heart, I reckon, day to day, we know we're saved. We know we're safe and loved for eternity, forgiven. We've got that peace and joy that passes understanding. But sometimes it feels like The spiritual riches, we know that by faith we have stored up safely in heaven. Sometimes they feel a million miles away from here and now. And opposition to Jesus, and worse, just indifference to Jesus, is heartbreaking and frustrating. And, you know, we'll go online and listen to an impassioned preacher yelling about power evangelism or something like that, because sometimes... The advance of the gospel seems really slow, really weak. Is Jesus measuring up to being the Messiah we have in mind? Well, today's passage helps us because John the Baptist, I mean, Jesus' cousin, the man who Jesus will call the greatest man ever born of a woman, the one who's been getting everyone ready for Jesus, even he has his doubts. So let's have a look at what those are and how Jesus helps him and what he's got to say to us, say about us as well. There's an outline in your leaflets there and the Bible passage you have in front of you. So first, what's the go, Jesus? John is asking, what's the go, Jesus? Have a look at verse 1 to 3. That's in your leaflets and it'll be on the screen as well. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So far in this gospel account, uh, the gospel writer Matthew has been showing us that Jesus is God's king in all sorts of ways, the circumstances of his birth, resisting Satan's temptations, his teaching with real authority never seen before, his authority even over the weather and the sea, over disease, over evil spirits. And John himself has been the messenger who, as promised in the Old Testament, comes before God's Messiah, pointing everyone to Jesus, saying he's the one. So why is he not so sure now? Well, when John was preparing the way and calling people to get ready by turning away from their sin, he said this, so Matthew 3, 10, 12, 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals are not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaffing and quenchable fire. Pretty full on, isn't it? See, John had picked up on the fact that Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets point to this promised Messiah, this promised one, gathering his people, bringing justice and vengeance, making everything right and bringing God's people to glory. So in his eye, I guess, conquering demons, diseases and storms, that's all great, that fits in. Jesus fits the bill. Well, then notice where John is. He's in prison. And he's not coming out alive. He's probably wondering when exactly Jesus is going to start swinging this axe at the bad guys. Where is that winnowing fork to put these baddies in their place? He's expecting Jesus to set the prisoners free, to bring full and final justice. And yet here he sits, imprisoned, falsely, by an adulterous traitor. You can imagine John languishing in prison, thinking over what his disciples are telling him is going on. I mean, Jesus is preaching, yeah, but in Galilee, he's preaching in the northern suburbs. Nobody goes there, nobody important. He asked When he thinks about it, he asked John to baptize him. Why would God's promised one need that? And he's he's not been driving sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes out. He's been having dinner with them. What sort of holy man is this? He's been on about loving your enemies as well. What, even the Romans? Even Herod? John believes he saw heaven opened and he heard God speak at Jesus' baptism. But he reckons better to check his doubts now rather than stew and never know. So he sends his disciples to ask very directly, what's the go? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now all of us have doubts and this is the kind of doubt for which there is no condemnation. I believe, help me in my unbelief. That is, John's heart is to do right by God. His heart is to get Jesus right. Lots of so-called doubt is actually just excuses to keep God at arm's length, to avoid facing up to him, and so avoid submitting to him. But John's doubt is just trying to get Jesus right, still turning to him for answers. If you have doubts, God knows your heart. God knows our minds and intellects. He knows why we've got those doubts, and he can handle them. And indeed, he's glorified when we still hang on to him by faith, trusting him, even when we can't fully explain why. But doubt well like John. So how's Jesus going to help John? Well, he tells him, basically, go and look me up. Look me up, our next heading. When John asks, are you the one to come? He probably got in mind Isaiah 35, 4, where Isaiah speaks of God coming in vengeance. 
And Jesus' answer is a kind of best of greatest hits of Isaiah quotations. Basically, he's given John a Bible study to think about in his prison cell. And we'll go through Jesus' quotes, but the gist is Jesus is saying, yes, I am the one who will come to judge. I will ultimately bring justice. But first of all, I've come to save. I've come to bring blessing. So let's break down this Jesus quote. So from verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So verse 5 up to the part where the deaf hear, that's from what's been called the most beautiful salvation poem in the Bible, from Isaiah 35. So here's a few bits of it. Say to those who with fearful hearts, people like John, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Picking it up in verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. So yes, there will be justice and retribution, but also blessing, life, redemption, rescue. The dead will be raised, quote, that's from Isaiah 25 and 26, which take it even further. God promises not just salvation, the salvation he'll bring, that's going to deal with the problem of death itself. Verse 6 is from Isaiah chapter 61. And the second half of Isaiah is really carefully structured. And exactly in the middle of the structure is chapter 61. Now, if you're writing Jack Reacher novel, you put the, the big deal, the big point at the end. That's what we do in Western writing. In Hebrew writing, you create a structure and put the main point in the middle of the sandwich. And that's where Isaiah 61 is. And it brings together all these ideas of God's anointed warrior king and God's self-sacrificial servant brings them to their climax. So all that to say, John's, uh, Jesus' quotes for John are smushing together justice and retribution, yes. But all of his quotes also bring to mind resurrection, rescue, redemption, restoration. In other words, blessing. Jesus has come to bless. Verse 6. To be blessed means to be approved by God. And to stumble, as in verse 6, as Jesus uses it in the gospel, means to be cut off from God. Approved by God or cut off from God. Jesus is saying he will provoke a reaction in all who see or hear him, either blessing or stumbling. But he has come to bless. Jesus didn't come to catch us out, to condemn us, to cause us to stumble. He will come in glory to judge all, once and for all. But before that, he's already come, he's already here to save, to show grace, to win us forgiveness at his own cost. 
That doesn't mean the judgment won't happen. It will happen. It's just that at this stage that John is observing, this period of history that we're in, Jesus' agenda is to bless, is to save. So do you see what Jesus has done for John here? He set John straight by getting him to see who Jesus is from Scripture, from the Bible, to look at all the things it has to say about Jesus, not just the bits that are on John's mind because they line up better with what he's going through right now. Get Jesus straight from Scripture. That's what John needed to do. That's what we need to do. Because how do we know Jesus? Well, we know him when we read or hear his words and words about him, inspired by his Holy Spirit, from the Bible. Otherwise, we end up making up Jesus, a Jesus who is really just a reflection of us and who he would find convenient for him to be. You know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, hippie Jesus, non-judging Jesus, against organized religion Jesus, revolutionary Jesus. Feminist Jesus. All of those have a little bit of truth in them. But on their own, they aren't enough to get a full picture of Jesus. And that our spin on Jesus. The truth is found in listening to Jesus' take on himself. And that of the prophets. And right here, he's pointing us to other scriptures to help us fill out the pictures. The picture. And what do we find? We find we don't need to worry about retribution, about wrongs being righted, about justice being done, about God being rightly honoured. We don't need to worry about that. He will take care of all that. In the meantime, we can find true blessing in trusting him. He sets right all our wrongs. He becomes cursed so that we can be blessed. So how's Jesus going with John? Well, he doesn't seem disappointed or upset with John for his doubts. Instead, he commends John to the crowds, beginning with a question. What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? I reckon everyone in the world knows deep down that there's more to life than meets the eye. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, as God has made everything beautiful in its time, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Everyone is searching for something significant or weighty or profound. Uh, the truth. And we're not necessarily actually looking for easy answers. And Jesus knew that about this crowd. So from verse 7, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? He's saying you weren't looking for more of the same. You weren't looking for someone towing the party line, bowing to peer pressure, someone who feared what people think. Verse 8, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. 
You weren't looking for someone rich and powerful in conventional human way. You've already got like people like that, and you, you always will have. Verse 9 then, what did you go out to see? A prophet? You went out looking for someone who had a message from God. And if you're someone here today or listening to this who keeps circling back to that eternity-shaped itch that you've got, if you keep finding yourself, despite having all your ducks in life lined up, still feeling lost, really what you're actually looking for is God. And the good news is that he's turned up in person, in history. Jesus is God with us. And that's what makes John the Baptist such a big deal. Verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And that's a quote from Malachi 3 verse 1. And I'm going to put it side by side with the original. Um, And this is from the more literal ESV translation. So Bible, got lots of English Bible translations. If you think of them on a scale, some are more paraphrased, something like the Living uh, Life Application Bible. Some are more closer to literally translating the original language, which makes them a bit harder to read. And if you try and read them out loud, you run out of puff and faint. So the ESV is like that. Here we go. Behold, I... In Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And in today's passage, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is confirming to the crowd that John is this this messenger. But more than that, he's saying that the message is about Jesus. Jesus is claiming to be God. And the most important claim anybody ever considers in life are the claims of Jesus. And we must be really clear, Jesus himself claims to be God. Fully human, yes, but fully God. And this is what makes John so great, that he's more than than a prophet, he's a preparing messenger. I mean, if you look at any of the Old Testament prophets, they were a big deal. Not always humanly, often ignored, often persecuted. But in bringing God's, <clears throat> excuse me, in bringing God's word to His people, they were central to kingdoms rising and falling. But all those guys—Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Isaiah—they spoke of God's coming rescue and blessing from the distance of history. Whereas John gets to see God turn up in person. He gets to preach in front of the one that he's giving prophecy about. He gets to see Jesus face to face, bringing God's salvation. John is great because of his vocation as the messenger, announcing that in Jesus, God has arrived in person to keep his promises and bring salvation. And John is a good example to us, not swayed into changing his message by public opinion or peer pressure, sticking with the truth, not pursuing a comfortable life at the expense of sharing the message everyone needs to hear. Turn away from sin and follow Jesus, trusting him to save us. And to encourage us, 
Jesus tells us that we are true greats. Our last heading, true greats. So how do you react if I tell you that you're great? You're really great. If somebody says that to me, I think that there's some negative feedback coming that they're softening me up for. Yeah, I really love what you're doing there, Colin. That's really great. And again, but... And yet, we all long to be great, don't we? A great friend, a great family member, a great worker, have a great personality, be a great Christian. Well, Jesus tells us that you can pick any Old Testament prophet, any of those mighty men and women of God, or you can pick John the Baptist, and you, you are greater than them. And this isn't just for your Billy Grahams or your John Stott or your Tim Kellers. The one who is least, the most rubbish Christian you've ever met, is greater than the greatest prophets. Even if you're here this morning feeling like you're barely hanging on to faith by your fingernails, even if you're feeling like a hypocrite for turning up today because you know you've had a bad week of sin, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than any other biblical big shot up to this point in the Bible that you can name. We're greater because we're in God's kingdom and Christ has made us greater messengers. We're in Christ and he is in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us to take that message out. John told people to get people ready for God's kingdom coming near. We're already in it. Our announcement comes from the inside. Forgiven, right with God forever. Declared to have Christ's righteousness. Who is greater than that? Now we live in an in-between time between Jesus first coming in humility to save. And when he, comes, when he returns in glory to judge. And our job as messengers is to get people ready to meet Jesus. And how? By delivering that good news message about Jesus. Calling people to repent of living for themselves, to believe in Jesus, and trust him for forgiveness and life. Having that message, sharing that message, is what makes us greater than John. Now, mind you, uh, that message, verse 12 and 13, won't always be treated like it's great. John the Baptist's own dad didn't believe it at first. John's in prison, soon to be killed, even though Jesus affirms that he's the real deal Elijah-type message from Malachi 4. It says that in verse 14. But John got rejected. Jesus got rejected. We will get rejected. But not by everyone. Not by everyone. God has got people, people that you know, in your network of relationships, in these southern suburbs, ready to hear and accept his message. Many will respond in repentance and faith and enter God's kingdom. So as I said on the leaflet, I've done this for 2024. So let's just take a moment. If you've got a pen, you can write them down or just take a moment now 
to think who you're going to pray for to come to faith in Christ this year. I'm going to give us 30 seconds. If you've already thought of them, you can kick off praying for them now. Okay, you might need to finish that later. But please, tear that off, take it with you, fill it in. But most importantly, pray for those people. I think it's a real help, a real encouragement in our Sharing Jesus, to think of ourselves as messengers, getting people ready to meet Jesus. Messengers getting people ready to meet Jesus. Because it's not our message, it's Jesus' message. So when his gospel message is accepted, well, we aren't all puffed up and proud about the fact that we're greater than John the Baptist. It's not us that's great, it's our message that's great. And when the message is rejected... We aren't undone and defeated because it's Jesus being rejected. It's not us. And anyway, such rejection is a blessing as it means we're following in Jesus' footsteps. Our gospel message is such good news and so powerful. Just having that message to share makes us greater than John the Baptist. They use that greatness to get people ready to meet Jesus. Okay, just in the last two, two and a half minutes, let me bring things together. Doubt well. Doubt well. Do you have doubts about Jesus? John the Baptist did too. So doubt like him. Give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Hold on to him in faith and ask your questions. Sometimes the gospel of the program progress of the gospel seems slow, some seems weak. But remember that it even seemed that way to John the Baptist. And remember that it seemed that way to everyone when Jesus was crucified. Yet in this apparent weakness and defeat was the very power of God to save. So doubt well and get Jesus straight, all of us, Believers or not, need to get Jesus straight from his word in the Bible. Not some half-baked or made-up Jesus, the real deal. And if you've never read one of the Gospels, you haven't sufficiently informed yourself about Jesus to know whether or not he's worth your attention. So doubt well, get Jesus straight, and now is the time for blessing. Let me ask Jesus' question again. What did you go out to see? What are you going out to see day by day, week by week in life? Is it to go along with the crowd? Is it for a comfortable life in the here and now? Or is it for true blessing? True life that lasts beyond our expiry date. Jesus had to help John see that he first came to save, to bring blessing, 
And when he returns, he will bring that blessed life to bear in full. But he will also bring his judgment to bear in full. So now, now is the time to receive his blessing by trusting him with our lives. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for recording for us in Matthew's gospel that it wasn't all smooth sailing, that John had his doubts like we do. Help us to doubt well like him. Help us to get Jesus straight. Help us to know that now is the time for blessing. Thank you for giving us the role as your messengers and um, the great, what a great message we have to share. And this year, please help us to find ways to grow in our confidence and ability to do that. And please bring people along across our path who we can share Jesus with. Amen.